Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Hey, it's Saturday morning, and yeah, that's my radio voice, because we're in the KFAN studios in downtown Minneapolis. Just finished Saturday morning fan outdoors with the captain, Billy Hildebrand. And uh, if you were listening on today's show, what day is it, July the 30th. 29th? 30th. 30th. Tyler Webster and Bruce Potter, Tyler of Birds, Booze, and Buds fame from North Dakota, and his buddy Bruce Potter from my home state of Michigan, rolled through Minnesota and joined the captain and I on Fan Outdoors this morning, and uh, I've set up shop for On the Wing Podcast and KFN Studios, the radio home of the wild, the... um, University of Minnesota and the Minnesota Vikings, and we're going to record a special episode with Tyler and Bruce about an adventure that, for them, has now gotten underway. Yeah, we're a mile marker on the on the trip, driving from Michigan to Minnesota, and uh, we're going to find out where they're heading um, on this episode of On the Wing podcast. And for folks that recognize the name Tyler Webster had been has been a friend of our organization for a number of years had our biologists on his podcast you on my podcast. podcast yeah um and most importantly um you've made some really generous donations over the years to National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic mm-hmm. in the form of hunts I think the hunt from last year in Omaha is a, a Mern's Quail Mern's hunt Quail, in yep. Arizona that uh was if not the largest, one of the largest uh, donations or contributions uh, that generated um, uh, purchase yeah. at, at the auction at Pheasant Fest last yeah, year. Yeah, I was I was joking with Hank Shaw when we were standing in the back of the room, and Hank had texted me earlier in the week. He said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna run the price up on that thing," <laughs> and I was sitting there and I was like, "Man, this looks not gonna go for a thousand bucks. I'm gonna look ridiculous." And then it kept on going and going and going, and I was like, "Man, all right." Sweet. It, it was some money for the mission. Thousands of dollars for our Habitat mission. So it was yeah. sincerest of thanks for, for making that donation. You've already made Doing it again. a donation for Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic here in Minneapolis for 2023. Absolutely. Um, and, it, you know, f- for folks, if you're listening, you have things that you, you can donate, whether that's hunting trips, fishing trips, products, um, please reach out. Um, that's how we create Habitat is through generosity. And Tyler's a wonderful example because, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't prompt you at all. No. You just, yeah. I think you hit me on Facebook and you're like, hey, how can your, I? I said, send me your phone number. I had it in my old phone and I broke it. And I was like, man, I'd. I'd just got an idea. I want to run by you quick. And you're like, man, yeah, yeah. that'll work. So it, it, appreciate the generosity and it's helped raise funds. And that's the cool thing about the nonprofit world. Folks, you know, they, they sort of get single mind like, well, I don't really want to do this or I, you know, don't want to volunteer at a chapter. And, and there's, thank goodness, there's <laughs> thousands of people that do want to volunteer at a local chapter, but there's others that it's like, I, you know, I have different talents um, or I have something else to give. And in your case, you're like, I'd like to donate a hunt in, in Mern's country. And boy, you know, a couple years in and mm-hmm. it's raising thousands of dollars for us. So sincerest. Of oh, thank you. you're, you're welcome. It's, you know, I, if anybody does listen to my podcast, they all know that I talk a little bit of crap about the rooster pheasant, but it's out of love. <laughs> I love rooster pheasants and I chase them a lot, but, uh, uh, trying to figure out a way to get back to your guys' organization because I hunt a lot of pheasants forever land in North Dakota and everything else. And I've been a fan of, of yours forever and, and your guys' mission has been is 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 a worthy cause. And you're a quail fanatic too, so that that love them quail, thing. yeah. So, uh, without diving into the um, the trip, because uh, I want to I want to get there, but sure. for folks, um, there's certainly crossover in audiences yep. that folks that listen to birds, booze, and buzz, mm-hmm. but for people that haven't heard of the podcast or, or of you, I'd like y- you to introduce. 
yourself a little bit, your background, and then uh, you can transition into introducing sure. your buddy here. Sure. Well, I mean, honestly, they, they kind of wrap together pretty well. So um, July 27th was my fifth year anniversary of the podcast. Mm. Um, and it got started because Ron Bame from the Hunting Dog podcast, I was on his podcast his first season. And we uh, – he, he we had a really fun time and he talked and talked and talked and he's like man you got to you got to do one of these and mm. I was like all right well so I was the second upland hunting podcast out there second to, it, second th- really? to Ron yep there okay. was nobody else and then it was right after that that Project Upland and then you mm-hmm. guys and Travis and the Flush and all them guys got started in my defense I was doing radio that's fair <laughs> you, are, you, you are the OG of OGs you're right so and we, and, uh, we did have a group of people in in my office They're like why aren't we doing a podcast like I get up at 4 a.m. every Saturday and do radio you can listen yeah. to KFAN when when do we do this right sorry but you know, yeah. Story. But uh, so he he kept on asking me. He's like, "Man, you got to do this. You you got good stories. You hunt all the time. You're you're a little bit crazy. That's perfect <laughs> for podcasting." And so um, finally, I decided to do it five years ago, and just it's just gotten crazier and crazier. So I mean, mm. now we've gotten to the point where we're starting to hunt in August and going all the way until February for quail down on the border. Um, and that's actually how I did meet Bruce, um, is through our mutual friend, Craig Jones, who was Ron's second or third guest on his podcast. Ron Bame's second. Okay. Yep. Huh. So I was listening to that podcast cause I was tired of listening to the radio. Mm-hmm. I was tired of listening to the same 15 songs played in the same order every day. Cause I was a, I'm a rural mail carrier. I got a couple of contracts in Western North Dakota. And so I'd get in the car at nine o'clock in the morning and I'd be in the car until one thirty in the afternoon. And I'd, I was just like, man, this is awful. And I'd heard about this podcast thing. Mm-hmm. I'd never, I was like, well, I wonder what that's all about. So I open up my iPhone and sure enough, there's the iTunes app. And I opened that up and I was searched hunting. And there was a couple that came up and then I searched bird hunting and nothing came up. And then I searched mm. up or uh, hunting dogs the hunting dog podcast came up. Okay. And so I tuned in on Ron's third episode. I was probably his fifth listener, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, and there's this crazy guy, Craig Jones on there and our other mutual friend, Dave Dean, huh. and they're telling hunting stories. And then they get into the part where they hunt North Dakota every year. They've been going out to North Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota. And I was like, well, huh, I'm going to get, I'm going to send this guy. I'm going to see if I can find him on Facebook and send him a message. So I did, and this is um, June, May, June of, of 2016, and I get a message back from him. So we start messaging back and forth and just kind of, I was like, I just invited him. I said, you know, when you're up in North Dakota next year, if you want to come up and do some real upland hunting mm. that's not only pheasants, <laughs> you should get a hold of me. So he's like, yeah, I think we'll come up for a day. And then they're coming up and calls me on the phone. He's like, well, so I got our group there's six of us um do you mind if we all come up i was like yeah come on up huh. i was like all right well we're gonna be up there for a day they ended up staying for three um and we had a blast and they've, they haven't been back to to where they used to hunt since mm. uh they just come up to me now and so when craig got sick and all that all that terrible stuff went down you know we and there just, was an episode of the flush that yep. told uh, craig's story yeah and we, uh, you know, we, we were all good friends by then, and, um, you know, we'd talk all the time. And mm-hmm. then it's just kind of gotten gone on from there. And now, geez, me and Bruce talk on the phone four or five times a week. And this year it's been a lot more than what it has in, in other years because we're planning this trip. But uh, when I was thinking about people to go that are both crazy enough and have <laughs> the time to do something like this, Bruce was the top of the list. So I got, I got my A draft. Uh, so – all right, so I want to get back into the time, but let's introduce Bruce. So you're from Michigan, Bruce. I am. Um, Ron from the Hunting Dog Podcast has been a friend of mine for years and years and years, way prior to even starting his podcast. Craig and uh, Dave were friends of mine, too. We all gather at my cabin in northern Michigan for the opening of Woodcock and Grouse, huh. and it's on a little stream, so we fish steelhead and salmon. In what and what ta- What area in northern It's, a, it's um, middle, upper middle. It's um, just outside of a town called Irons. I've got a place on huh. the Little Manistee River, okay. which is a blue ribbon trout stream. Mm-hmm. And, Beautiful. Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's our little oasis in Michigan, so we gather there frequently. But and, you are a troll. 
Uh, yeah, I am a troll. Do you know uh, what that means, yeah. Tyler? Yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm an honorary Michigander at this point. Okay. I spend almost as much time over there as they do in North Dakota. So, so for right. folks that don't know, I, I'm a youper and Bruce is a, a troll, troll, which means in Michigan, the Upper Peninsula, above the Mackinac Bridge, are youpers. And, and then below, live below you the live bridge. below the bridge, you're a troll. All right. Yeah. <laughs> No offense. Yeah. None taken. <laughs> he, he's been called much worse. Yeah, apple knocker. Uh, yeah, we fudgy, live in apple. Co- that's right. right. Yeah, that's right. And fudgy comes from a tourist that goes to Mackinac Island and buys fudge. Apple <laughs> uh, apple knocker comes from uh, knocking the apples off the trees in Lower Michigan and bring them up to the UP to bait the deer during deer season. <laughs> or out west to bait the farmers mm. <laughs> to get access. They do, yeah. I've seen that before, too. Yeah. But I'm interrupting your introduction. Go ahead. <laughs> we just um, developed a, a real kindred spirit. I mean, we both love to upland hunt. I've been coming out west. Mm. Yeah, this is my first year of retirement. That's why I've got the time to do this trip with Tyler. Mm. And um, I've been coming out west every year since I think 1978 was my first trip out west to Nebraska with my my dad. Which wow. is which is seven years before or five years before I was born. Huh. Just yeah. put that out there. <laughs> so we've been coming out for a week to ten days to two weeks to three weeks every year. You know, watch the whole cycle of CRP going up and down yeah, and yeah. birds moving from different places. And started in uh, Nebraska, hunted for a number of years in Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota. Yeah. And then when we hooked up with Tyler, we moved from South Central North Dakota up to his country. And um, yeah, for some reason, him and I just hit it off real well. And we can uh, find the time to do. Similar things. So you, you both have talked about the time and the trip, and I'm I'm realizing okay, we talked about the trip when we were on the K Fan broadcast, mm-hmm. but we haven't we haven't talked about what the trip is. So give us the two minute like what the trip is, Tyler. Yeah, and then and then um, we'll get into the details, but it, give us sure. the overview. So this whole thing kind of came about because. Uh, we've been kind of trying to figure out how to make the hunt, the upland hunting season longer and longer. Mm-hmm. And without going to Argentina, this is as long as you can possibly make it in the lower four. Well, in, in, in the United States. So we kind of come up with this concept. Um, I've never been to Alaska and I've always wanted to hunt ptarmigan and he's been on a cruise to Alaska, but never got to go do the touristy stuff and go hunting. So it's like, well, let's drive to Alaska and go hunt ptarmigan, <laughs> um, which you know, sounds great on paper, you know, like I'm just the idea guy here, you know, I, I don't need to put together all the logistics. So we thought about that and we're like, all right, well, let's do it. And then it's like, well, if we're going to go up there, then, you know, what's the time frame? Well, the time frame starts in August, mm-hmm. early August. I think it opens up August 10th. So we're going to go up there and do that. Then down the West coast to Oregon, where we're going to hook up with another friend of ours, another Michigan guy, because everybody that I know in the world is from Michigan. <laughs> uh, and we're going to hunt mountain quail and valley quail. Okay. And then we're going to cruise back across Montana for the grouse slam. And we're going to end at my place the day before our season starts in North Dakota for sharp tails and hunts. Okay. So, so the focus of this episode for folks is we're going to break down that trip a little bit. Yeah. Um, but the question in everybody's mind. So Bruce, Bruce has a clear excuse. He, you said first year retirement. Right. Yeah. Tyler, how in the heck can you do this? So uh, it's been eight years now. Uh, when I turned 30, I got a business degree and a psychology minor in college at, a, at, at NDSU. Hmm. And I was a bar manager and I loved bartending and all that kind of stuff. It was always kind of fun. I got to use my psychology degree a lot <laughs> on, a, on, a, on addiction studies, for, you know, particularly. Really? No, uh, just, just, you know, everybody loves a bartender. Sure, you know, sure. I got to hear everybody's problems and try to fix them, uh, huh. which was usually just another glass of whiskey. And this is in Minot? In Minot, yeah. yeah. Uh, and when I turned 30, I realized kind of like you did with baseball, really right about the same time frame too. Mm. It's like, this isn't going to work forever, you mm. know, but the nice thing about bartending for when I was in my twenties was I had all my days free. I could hunt every day, get off work at one o'clock in the morning and bed by two thirty. I could be up by nine mm-hmm. and I could hunt birds all day long and then go to work at five. And it was great. 
and th- then I turned 30 and I was like, man, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm. Like, it's just too much. And I want to, I want to go to bed at a normal time mm-hmm. and, and, you know, not be tired. So I was literally sitting reading the newspaper back when people sat and read, read the newspaper. And uh, in the classified section, there was an ad for a rural mail driver. And so I called the number. It's a Kansas number. Talk to the guy. He's like, man, it's 140 miles or 130 miles of gravel roads a day. You deliver mail to farmsteads. He's like, it's a lot of people don't really like it. And I was like, I'll take it. Hmm. And he's like, really? I was like, yeah, I'd, I'd pay my money right now to go out and drive around in the country and talk to farmers. You're telling me you'll pay me to do that. Hmm. I'm in like, I mean, it's the best scouting tool in the world. Mm-hmm. But so here was a deal. He lived in Kansas and obviously the route was in North Dakota and he was paying me about half of what the contract was. Okay. And I had to provide my own vehicle, the gas, the insurance, the repairs. So I did the quick math after about three weeks, and I was like, I'm making about 11 bucks an hour. Mm. Like, I'm taking a huge pay cut. And, and so then I went out and I found my own contracts in the town that I live in now, in Stanley, North Dakota. And I got that contract, and then I worked that one for a couple years and with my cousin we kind of split the split the month up so okay. i was able to take more time off huh. and then i picked up the contract that connects to that one and then my cousin got married and quit and went and got a, a different job so i had two contracts now and i had to start hiring employees so now eight years in i've got three employees that are all really good and reliable i got another person that's a, a part-time sub I got vehicles there for them to drive. Hmm. They got a company credit card for all the gas. We got a charge account at the local mechanic for all the all the bills. So now I can just sit back and write checks. Wow. And it just kind of all happened. Like, it was not planned by any stretch of the imagination, but I joke around with all my friends. I've been working my whole life trying to figure out how to make the most amount of money by doing the least amount of work, <laughs> and I think I got it dialed in right now. <laughs> so is this kind of universal across the country, or is it unique to rural areas it's, where the – it's, mo- it's more prominent in the West, huh. for sure. Okay. Um, I'm still on an email list where I get notified of all the other contracts that are coming up. There's a lot in Arizona, uh, California, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, New Mexico, hmm. Wyoming, that kind of that kind of area. Um, and it it's really a good idea for the post office because we don't get paid benefits. Ooh. So, you know, we get, a, we get a lump sum. This is how much we'll do the contract for and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's great for me because there are certain times of the year that I go out and I want to do all my scouting. And not pay my employees mm-hmm. and give them their, their summer vacation. And then <laughs> I can just take off and I don't have to come back to work till February. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So when you go on this trip, uh, Epic Adventure, mm-hmm. um, people in rural North Dakota will still get their mail. They will. <laughs> they will. <laughs> yep. They, if they don't, uh, call, call the post office. Don't call me. <laughs> All right. Uh, you Mutual uh, friend and partner... On X Maps is a sponsor of Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing podcast. If you want to find more birds this hunting season, look no further than the Onyx Hunt app. Private and public land boundaries just begin to scratch the surface as Onyx provides countless tools to make your hunt safer and more successful. Onyx is trusted by millions of hunters across the United States, including me, including Tyler, and including Bruce. Um, Use the code pheasants or quail during the checkout process, and you'll get 20% off your membership at onyxhunt.com. And not only will you get 20% off, You'll be glad to learn that a portion of all Onyx sales using these codes, pheasants or quail, generates a donation back to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and creating more public lands. Thank you, Onyx, an absolute game changer in the last decade for for bird hunters everywhere. Public lands. Yeah. This trip, five weeks, mm-hmm. 10,000 miles, eight species of <laughs> upland birds, fishing, YouTubing, all done entirely on public lands. Yeah. Let's start with yesterday. Yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Take yeah. us take us forward. So we went over to Michigan. Um, I, I, I flew into Michigan 
so I could ride back with him. I had some of my sponsors for my podcast over there. I wanted to pick up all my shells for the year, some new clothes uh, from Pike Gear. I wanted to get loaded up in the pickup and then drive back with him. And, you know, I didn't want to drive over there and then have him drive back as well. So I'm not a flying guy, but it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, We were over there for a couple days, and it was really just kind of a whirlwind. We did a hunter's happy hour with Ron Bame and Nick Larson and – you know, all that kind of stuff. It was it was really fun. Went down to uh, Justin McGrail's dog training facility for a day and went and ran dogs with him. And it was just kind of, you know, it, it's just kind of like the first step. Mm-hmm. So I kind of wanted to make the whole trip as well. You know, I didn't want Bruce I, to, to, to like, drive out by himself. <laughs> and then I'd and still then, be sleeping in a rest area. <laughs> yeah. And then have him hold it over me forever. He's sure. like, well, you know, you you, you really only made part of <laughs> right. it. Like, 8,000 miles. Right. I'm not, I'm not driving back with him. Oh, okay. So I, I'm staying in North Dakota to hunt, hunt birds. Uh, but he, he can drive back by himself. Mm-hmm. Um, but So we're going to get out to my place tonight, and we're going to go and run dogs in the morning. Uh, do a little bit of early season scout, uh, scouting for sharp tails, which you've done a little bit. A little bit. So for folks that, again, we're listening to K fan a few sure. minutes ago. What are you seeing? Well, the nesting habitat looks fantastic. Mm. Uh, it it looks better than it has since 2016. Everybody knows the drought that we've been stuck in since 17 uh, has been. You know, the birds have done okay, Ooh. but we've been walking that that tight line where that tightrope where it's like, man, we get one bad winter and we can be in r- real trouble. Mm. But we did get that bad winter, but it only lasted for a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and so we got a bunch of snow, almost sixty inches in, in a ten day or two week period in April this year. But this is the thing that's got me hopeful: is that up to that point, it was a pretty open winter, so the birds went into that storm in good shape. Mm-hmm. Plus, the wind blew really hard, and it kept the fields open, so they were able to get to food. Mm-hmm. And uh, it seems like I mean, we we got rain in May, lots of bugs on the ground, nesting cover looked good. Um, I was starting to get a little bit worried because I hadn't been seeing any broods at all. Mm. But uh, that's not super uncommon right. through, you They're know, hunkered. I they mean, are. That, the, the hens of any species are trying to right. keep uh, their broods out of sight from predators right. and, and people. Right. And so usually towards the end of July, we'll start getting some heavy dew on the grass. Mm-hmm. And that kind of pushes those birds out into the roads in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's when the North Dakota Game and Fish does a great job on the brood surveys, actually on mail routes, mm-hmm. you know, the same routes year over year. Have you? Are you a counter? No. Okay. And it'd be good because I'd count zero every year. <laughs> like, they're, they're, Don't come to yeah, my yeah, area. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on up there on those <laughs> yeah, routes. There's, there's no here. birds there. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but then last week we got a good heavy dew. And uh, we're out driving around in the, uh, that evening before, saw a nice brood of sharp tails, mm. saw a nice brood of pheasants. And it was going to be cool the next day. It was going to get up to like 75, and it was going to be in the upper 50s in the morning. I was like, man, it's after July 15th. Usually I wait till August 1st, but I'm going to be busy mm-hmm. August 1st. So it was like the 25th or whatever. And me and one of my buddies, we went out and ran dogs. And we found a bunch of singles and, and a few broods. But... The broods we found were big, mm. really big. Um, sharp tails, if you get broods in the four and five, uh, there's some cause for concern. Mm-hmm. Um, probably six to eight is normal, and if you get more than eight, it's a really good year. Mm-hmm. And all these broods were nines and tens. Wow. So, uh, And if they are having broods in nines and tens, huns are going to be bigger than that, mm. and pheasants will probably average in that same range as, as sharp tails will. So, and the broods I've seen of pheasants have been have been good. And, um, you know, the, the, the broods that I'm seeing, the, the chicks are pretty good size. Mm. I mean, these were good flyers. We didn't have, you know, they were getting up and they were getting out of there and the pheasants are starting to develop that little tail. So it looks like they were hatched pretty close to on time. So all indications of early or first nesting success, Mm -hmm. which bigger broods, um, are first nesters rather than if they lose a nest to say a skunk or a gully washer, They'll drop less eggs the second time right. and less eggs the third time. So if you're seeing broods of eight, nine, and above, yeah. I think the average is uh, somewhere in the 11 egg range is what they average when yeah. they lay. So if you're seeing eight, nine, that's a really that's good. good indication. And the fact that the the young ones are getting bigger, it's mm-hmm. like early nesting was 
was successful. So well, there's plenty of bugs. There's plenty of bugs for him to eat. I'll tell you that. You can you can ask my mosquito bitten legs mm-hmm. right now how the bug hatch was, and there's a lot of grasshoppers out there and everything else. So it should be good. Well, and anybody that hunted the Dakotas, Montana last year, the emergency hanging grazing yep. really right. <clears throat> limited the amount of habitat and. That's not the case this year because things are lush. That's And I was talking to him about that. So the more hay that's produced, the less hay that some people need to cut, mm-hmm. also the less value that there is there, right? Mm-hmm. So with really high diesel prices, I'm wondering if some of these ranchers and farmers are going to cut less hay in general because their hay is not worth anything and it costs a lot to, to mm. cut it anyway. So mm. I'm hoping that there's kind of a, you know, a, a two, two thumbs up upside here. Cool. But hoping. All right. So you're in North Dakota for the next couple of days. Mm-hmm. Or you will be by tonight. Tonight, yeah. Going to run the dogs a little bit. Um, what kind of dog power you guys have for this trip? Well, I got uh, I got a set. Well, I, personally, I have two setters and a short hair. My one little setter, CJ, she uh, had a collision with my short hair in May mm. and ended up uh, basically it was we thought that there was a bunch of torn ligaments in there. She ended up having to – she's down for a little bit. She's going to be back and ready for, for fall. But I'm not comfortable on taking her on this trip yet. So I'm going to take my set, my oldest setter, Rusty, who's going to be nine in September, and then I'm taking my short hair, Bo. Okay. And then Bruce has got his little dog, Roxy. Yeah, Roxy is the uh, sibling of Travis's uh, okay. dog. So, so a poinsettia. Yeah, yeah. a poinsettia. Pointer-setter yes. combo. Out of my dogs. An oops. An oops. It was a happy accident, yeah. yeah. Um, so in North Dakota, do some walleye fishing. Work the dogs on some broods, and then work us on some hills. <laughs> get right. get the legs in shape. Yeah, and last minute. <laughs> so as we sit here recording, it is July the thirtieth. Yep. Um. So when when do you have to be in Alaska? The tenth. Tenth is the opening day. Yeah. Well, training? that's that's when my wife is flying in. Okay. Okay. Um, so we need to meet her at the airport on the tenth. So from. N- from Minot to Alaska, what kind of drive is that? 49 hours <laughs> and 2,400 miles or something And how many like days, uh, how many stops along the way are you going to do? We're, we're going to take six days to do it. Okay. Um, the first day is going to be a big push. We're going to try to get just outside of Banff, mm. and then we're going to spend an extra day in that in Banff, Banff, Lake Louise Not, Never been there. Yeah, so me neither. It's the gorgeous. photos sure yeah. make it look gorgeous. Yeah. And then after that, there are about 10-hour uh, day averages on the road. Okay. So yeah. it shouldn't be too bad. You say that now. I'd like to yeah. check in there, right? <laughs> Call us on the 11th. We <laughs> know how we're feeling. <laughs> Any idea what the temps are going to be like on a ptarmigan opener on August 10th? I've been doing a little bit of weather research. Um, the average highs that time of the year in the 70s in, in that oh. uh, Kenai Peninsula area. Okay. But we're going to be at a little higher elevation, so... I mean, I don't think it would be unusual to have 50-degree weather. Mm. And we're, when then that's only part of the Alaska trip. So the other part is me going up to Fairbanks to, to meet up with our mutual friend, Hank Shaw. He's mm. flying up there, and he's going to hunt with us. Uh, the He flies in the morning of the 17th. We're going to hunt the 18th, 19th, 20th, and then part of the day on the 21st, and he flies out. Okay. And so the weather in Fairbanks is going to be a little bit different than it's going to be on the Kenai, too. So it's there's a pretty good chance it's going to be a little wet, a little rainy, mm. uh, probably a little chilly and i'm not sure yet i got to talk to hank on the drive up today uh if we're going to rent a vrbo or if he wants to tent it i got my tent uh <laughs> but um i ain't cuddling uh, <laughs> so, uh I, I you better bring some extra gear <laughs> and you you mentioned on uh, the radio broadcast that you have a you're pulling a freezer yeah, yeah, yeah we're, uh, we're we're pulling a 6x10 enclosed trailer uh, because we just can't get everything we need in uh-huh. a pickup, you know. And so he we thought about, he's got a dog trailer, we thought about pulling that. You know, that would work fine, uh, mm-hmm. except with gas is going down, but pulling it from Michigan mm-hmm. to North Dakota and then back to Michigan, you know, you get all that extra driving there where you're not really doing using it for anything. Sure, sure. So we can get all his stuff in his truck, and then when we get to North Dakota, we got a 6x10 trailer up there. But trying to transport all that meat, uh, you can That's shoot. That's wishful thinking. Right, you know? right. Well, 
If nothing else, I think we'll catch fish. Yeah, Yeah. I don't. It is a cast and blast, right? It is a cast and blast. There's some halibut hopes. Lots of salmon hopes because it's a pink salmon year. Okay. And so I talked to some friends. They raised the limit on pink salmon up there to six per person per day, and they went out and caught 24 in 45 minutes. Mm. So we're going to come back with some fish for sure. Uh, but uh, the uh, the limit on ptarmigan per day per person is 15. Oh. I don't plan on shooting 15. Mm-hmm. Um, I plan on going out and shooting four or five, but mm. we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, it sounds like we're going to have some big walks to get in there. But And then when <laughs> Hank's there, we're going to have – Big walks to get in there, like it's a ways to get into where the right habitat is. Yeah. Right. Mm. So we're going to be uh, – the guys that we're going to be up there hunting with, it's, he said that a 15-mile day is not uncommon. Oh, boy. Um, so he said a lot of times it'll be a two- or three-mile walk to get in, and you'll mm. be gaining about 1,000 feet of elevation over those three miles, which mm. ain't bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, like that's definitely pretty easy. Mm-hmm. But then when you get back in there, then it just kind of opens up into these big bowls and valleys, and you're kind of just working the edges. And when, when you do all that effort to get in there, all of a sudden you're six miles into a hunt already for a round trip in and out. Yeah, You're going to spend all day in there, yeah. you know, and you're just going to kind of hunt it out and see what's there. So, you know, I can see where a 15-mile day is going to happen. So I've never been to Alaska. Have you guys been to Alaska? I never have. I, I was up on a cruise boat, so we got, to, you know, take a couple of – Side trips. But um, it'll be your first hunt. Yeah, absolutely. So my, my vision of Alaska comes from Orvis or Gray's Sporting Journal, right? Like mm-hmm. to fly in on a plane, float plane, and yeah. then you're hunting this, um, you know, bronze-colored tundra. Like, and it looks like it's sort of mushy. Musk uh, eggs and everything. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it doesn't look like you could walk 15 miles on this right. stuff, right? Like your right. legs would be jello. Yeah. Um, but your description sounds a little different. Like you're, it sounds like you're walking in on hard ground and yeah. you're not on like Tundra Island. No, it's kind of, from what I understand, um, we'll be parking down low and then kind of walking up trails to Ooh. get up to elevation. And the what we were talking to the one guy last night, uh, and he said that the trail's pretty badly overgrown, so it's, we're going to have to do some bushwhacking to get up there. Mm. Uh, but then once you get up there, it kind of opens up into that tundra, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of like valley area, kind of. Mm. So it's kind of between – it really honestly looks very similar to the rolling hills of North Dakota for sharp tails. Mm. Um, but he did say that underneath all that lush green grass, it's all rock. So he's you're, there's no even steps. Okay. It's a lot of ankle breaking kind of stuff, you know. So it's going to be an experience. Yeah. I mean, and the nice thing is we're going to hunt, and then we're going to fish. <laughs> we're going to hunt. And oh, then we're so you got a little. Yeah, so uh, we got some recovery days sure, built in. Right on. Yeah. Right on. And, and any other birds other than ptarmigans that are open while you're up there that you could potentially run into well i'd like to run into some sharp tails because uh up by fairbanks is the farthest northern population of sharp tails mm. in in the world uh and they have a season on them i'm not 100 percent sure on when their season opens for sharp tails but i would like to i'd like to chase them if i can i'm pretty i think they open up on the 15th or the 17th or okay. something like that but uh so i'd like to chase them Maybe some spruce grouse. It sounds like there's quite a few spruce grouse over there. Um, we've got some experience with them, and it, they live up to their name, the fool's hen. Mm-hmm. They're not the sharpest bird in the in the world, uh, but they're especially the males are really beautiful. Beautiful, yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, but and then there's three subspecies of ptarmigan. There's the rock, the white tail, and the willow. And Hank really wants to come up and shoot a rock ptarmigan, mm-hmm. which are they live way up mm-hmm. high in the rocks. <laughs> Those are the ones yeah. that also uh-huh. exist in Colorado too. Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's n- we're not going to be hunting at fourteen thousand feet like you will be in in Colorado for him. Mm-hmm. But I have a feeling that he's going to try to convince me to go up there and hunt those things up in the mountains, and we'll see. Yeah, you don't have to have a feeling. <laughs> no. You just know that yeah. that's going to yeah. be Hank's motive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's he's a he's he's a. Uh, <laughs> he's, he's a very convincing guy. So is there, you know, how many hunting trips do you have world-famous Hank Shaw along with? So there's got to be right. a meal in his mind, right? Well, I'm hoping. Bruce asked me here a couple weeks ago. He's like, do you have any idea what ptarmigan tastes like? I was like, no, but I bet Hank will make yeah, it taste good. No doubt about <laughs> so. it. Yeah, that w- that'll be a highlight, I'm sure. Yeah. He's Absolutely. also coming to my place in North Dakota in October, so I get I get, I get get double doses of Hank this year. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're a lucky guy. Yeah, I like Hank yeah, a lot. Absolutely. He's, he's, he's such a good dude and so much fun. 100%. I, yeah. I had him at grouse camp a few years back, and, you know, he was off folks at rough grouse hunt a fair amount. You know, you can walk through the woods with somebody and not really know how, if they're successful or not. You just can't see other than where they are. And, you know, we he shot a couple times. He got back to the truck, and he pulled out his game vest and threw everything he had on his vest onto the of the truck. It was a grouse, woodcock, and then, like, 13 different mushrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what the? It's like a smorgasbord, but the weir- weirdest mixed bag I've ever seen. I lost him in North Dakota one day. We are out chasing huns and sharptails a couple years ago, and he went into a choke cherry thicket, and he didn't come out for 45 minutes. <laughs> like, he's always got baggies, yeah. and then he found sand plums and all this yeah. other stuff. I was like, I don't even know you can eat that stuff. Yeah. And he's just, just, <laughs> just a forager for, first and foremost. But when he gets back and makes a meal with all oh, those ingredients oh, of incredible. You know, where the grouse lives and you have the whether the choke cherry and he, he has um, recipes with uh, sharp tails and, and rose, rose hips, hips yep. and uh, or the, the mushrooms in the grouse woods I mean it's mm-hmm. just well yeah you take all it's, the time you need yeah right? yeah yeah you just stay over there <clears throat> yeah you, you go and do what you got to do yeah yeah all right from Alaska then then we turn the truck and start driving down the uh, Pacific. Yep, yep. We're going to cruise down the west coast of Canada down into Oregon. And we're going to meet up with another one of our friends, Nate Akey, down there. Uh, Nate is an incredible photographer. Mm -hmm. I mean, he takes some incredible pictures. And since we're going to be filming this whole thing, it's going to be really nice to have him along for part of this as well. But uh, there's six quail species in the United States. There's the bobwhite, the scales, the gambles, the merns, the mountain quail, and the valley quail. I got four of them. Hmm. The other two reside in Oregon. <laughs> so uh, the mountain quail and the valley quail open up September 1st. So okay. we're going to be down to Nate's the last day of August. Um, just hang out and go to the coast maybe, and then we're going to get up in the morning and we're going to go and chase mountain quail on opening day. And then the second day we're going to go and chase some valley quail. Awesome. Yeah. It's going to be a pretty, st- a pretty short stop in Oregon. Uh, because we want to get over to Montana, and yeah. I got a. So you have two days to knock down two different species. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he, he thinks. Have can, you hunted them before, Bruce? No, I have not. Okay. And no. he, he thinks we can get it done. He's been a, he's been scouting a bit, and so I have a, a a hard rule that I will never miss an opening day of sharp tail mm-hmm. and huns in North Dakota. I, mm-hmm. I've never done it in my life. This is my thirty first hunting season, um, that I've been carrying a shotgun. It's you know I'm older than that, but anyways. The opening day in North Dakota this year is September 10th. So we're going to spend the first and the second in Oregon. Mm-hmm. Then we got, what did you say, a nine-hour drive from Oregon to our spruce grouse spot, something like that. Or to oh, yeah, ten and a half. Ten and, ten a, half and a half hours, hours to yeah. mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. the area of Montana that we chase, rough grouse and spruce grouse. Okay. So woodsy, mountainous areas. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get over there the night of the, uh, probably – hunt for a couple hours in the morning on the second all day if we have to to get the valley quail uh get over to that part of montana sometime on the third hunt a little bit fourth hunt a little bit in the morning down to central montana for blue grouse which is uh we were just talking on on the radio with captain billy that's that's become my favorite grouse species to chase over there because yeah you you were singing its praise i've never seen one yet they've climbed their way into my top three Hmm. like huns and merns quail they they swap position depending on what time of the year it is right now my my whole focus is on huns but come Uh november it's going to swap to merns yeah and duskies are right there in number three do you call them duskies blues i call them blues blues okay yeah um and i mean I, you can call them duskies if you want, or mm-hmm. up in Alaska on the coastal range, they're, they're sooties. Sooties, yeah. But they're the same bird, yep. you know. Uh, and they're, it's like eating a supersized rough grouse. Mm. It's like it's like eating a rough grouse that's bigger, a little bit bigger than a rooster pheasant. Mm. So you wow. get all that fantastic meat. Mm-hmm. They fly very fast and dodge through trees like a rough grouse. Mm. They flush real hard uh and on top of that they you know they live in one of the most beautiful places on earth so what's not to love about yeah. it you know huh so th- that's uh stop number two in montana okay uh we're going to be there for a few days and then from there over to our sage grouse and sharp tail spot is only about a two and a half hour drive okay so that's going to be the end of our trip 
in Montana. We're going to and and Sage and Sharp together. Yeah, we, we've moved Sage and Sharp on the same walk. Hmm. So we were over there last year, and that's the last one that Bruce. We didn't we didn't end up getting any sage grouse last year, and I haven't shot any sage grouse over my dog. I've shot hmm. sage grouse when my dog was in the field, but the other dog had the fine. So yeah. I kind of want to I kind of want to knock that one off my list again as well. Uh, and there's good populations of sage grouse over there. You can shoot two birds per day for the whole month of September. Mm. And But last year it was a bad drought out there. They didn't have real good production. And the days that we had set aside for hunting sage grouse and sharpies, it was really hot. Mm. I mean, it was 90 plus. And so we had basically one walk in the morning and that was it. Okay. And so we're gonna we're hopefully gonna be able to catch a little bit cooler weather over there this year, and we're gonna we're gonna devote a couple days to to chasing those birds around as well, and then get back to my place in North Dakota, uh, evening of September 9th, ready for opening <laughs> day on the tenth. And will your legs be in shape, or will you be out of gas by that point? I don't uh, run out we'll of gas. See. Um, <laughs> I haven't ran out of gas yet. Uh-huh. Uh, last year I hunted 136 days. Wow. Uh, this year it's going to be well over that starting in August. 136 yeah. days. Yeah. Wow. I didn't take off my first day until mid-October last year, and then I took one day, and then I didn't take off another one until mid-November. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. Yeah. Um, so 10 thousand miles eight species of birds how many of these species will be completely new for you three for me three for you and bruce yeah. four four yeah, yeah. okay and you mentioned and during the the k-fan interview your hopes of audubonning yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i can't i if, if i could remember who said it i would it's, give him it credit was, for it it was us yeah i think it was it, it, so it was a co-worker of mine who's since retired rick young yeah uh, coined the phrase Audubonning a bird and I heard it about I don't know 15 years ago it's like what are you talking about he's a bi- longtime biologist and he said <clears throat> well think about it John James Audubon who you know probably right. wrote about discovered more birds than anybody we have the Audubon Wildlife Refuge in North Dakota <clears throat> Audubon, Lake books, Audubon. Right? Yeah. And like he you know he didn't sit in a tree with binoculars finding all these <laughs> shot them shot him. <laughs> and took you know uh, photos and stills of all these dead birds and sort of uh, investigate so he coined the phrase when you see a bird for the very first time identify it on the wing and you know all legal up and up but you, you, you bird you're hunting legal first time you see it and you make the shot successful that's audubon again, yeah, you know, yeah. okay you, um <clears throat> so to audubon a species is sort of you know that's right you're, you're quick to identify yep. in in good shots so that's something I, that i've audubon my first species of several type or several <laughs> types of birds so i did it with with mern's quail gambles quail scale quail rough grouse woodcock blue grouse spruce you've grouse, audubon all these all okay them. slow yeah. down so mern's yeah I can see Mern's tight holding yep. you're gonna get them off a point that's probably one of the easier birds in theory, to Audubon, sure, as would be Woodcock. Yep, tight Sca- holding. Scale quail and gambles are. I mean, the, eh, those are a little tougher because they're runners. Sure, uh, the scale quail last year held very well. Okay, uh, we we had some pretty good luck, but when they get up. Just being a pheasant hunter for so long, I identify little things about birds that catch my eye fast. So I tell all all new hunters that the first thing that I'm looking for on a pheasant isn't the red eye patch or the long tail. It's a white ring around okay, the neck. It's, sure. a, it's that little bit of different color, right? It catches your eye. So with with Gamble's quail, it's that little dingle bob on the top of their head, right? <laughs> and then with... with it's with not the, the biological th- term. No, it's not. Yeah, we're we're going to go with the dingle bob. Uh, and then with the scale quail, they have a little white cotton top up there on top, and I my eye can pick that mm. up. With the rough grouse, however... Mm. You out of bond a rough? I did. Damn. And I was ready because we had a dog on point. Uh, it was the first trip I ever made over to Michigan. And I'd heard him flush mm. to that point, but mm-hmm. I hadn't seen one yet. Mm. And so when like we were walking up on this down log, and it was with Craig Jones and his dog's on point, my dog's backing, and the bird gets up and it goes straight up through the trees, and mm. I shot it. And mm. I had that beautiful view of that nice big fan, and I was like, sure. oh, you're mine, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, Good for you. Yeah, that's, and that's then, fun. And blue grouse, too. Uh-huh. You know, I, I mean, it was – to be fair, I was I – was, thinking to myself this is either a blue grouse or a baby turkey uh, and i'm hoping it's wow. not a baby turkey but you know i i mean i knew i knew what it was but yeah yeah, yeah it was a neat one i 
I, I th- I've Audubon to probably the easiest of Sprucey. Yeah, definitely. You know, because I got yeah. I heard that one flush and yeah, you had an hour to look, tree. You had an hour to look at it in a tree. Um, and then I probably got one of the harder birds, which was a bobwhite. The first time I'd ever seen a bobwhite in um, Nebraska. They're tough. They're fast. Yeah, trying to pick one out of a um, out of a covey rise mm-hmm. can be a real big challenge. Start on the edge. Yeah. Don't look at right, the right, right. Especially, yeah. you know, you growing up in Sharpie country, Hun country. Um, in yeah. Hun country, yeah. there there's some transference there to. Yeah. You know, when you go down and hunt bobs and, mm-hmm. you know. There's and merns, too. Merns and, will cover your eyes on you, too. And, and there tends to be, um, in all of the sharpies, bobwhites, merns, uh, uh, scalies, a sleeper bird. Yeah. Right? So, if as long as you don't empty out both barrels, mm-hmm. you know, there's one bird that's going to delay and sharp, give you. Sharp tails are so famous mm-hmm. for that, too. Like, when I get new people out sharp tail hunting with me. And that first bird goes up that's right on the edge of range, and they go Ooh. boom, boom. And then they stand there with their gun open. I'm just yelling, get yeah. that gun reloaded, man. They're, the rest of them are right here. Or they'll always be that one sleeper. But, yeah, you're right. So, uh, okay, I'll throw a toss-up question. And we'll, we'll start with Bruce, and we'll go to, to you, Tyler. Um, so two-part question. This trip to Alaska, Oregon, Montana, What's the number one thing you're hoping to do? Like, what? What's like this? W- if this happens, it'll make the dream of this trip come true. Like, what? What is there any singular piece? And then the second part of that question is a lot of miles, a lot of new yeah. terrain. Like, what's the one single thing that causes you trepidation? Is there something that you know? I I think about. Travis and you hunting in Mern's country and having a, a snake experience last mm-hmm. winter. You know, is there something, um, you know, the wilds of uh, Alaska or the mountains of Oregon, anything that you're like. Eh. You're talking about the big grizzly bears? Well, that, <laughs> it, it, that's an appropriate answer. But, you know, what's, what's the high hope uh, for you? The, the, the you know, I, I don't really have any expectations of doing anything other than experiencing it. If if I am able to Audubon a couple of them, that'll be a <laughs> bonus. Um, I've been doing it so long now, it's just about going out and watching my dogs and being with mm-hmm. friends and, ex- and enjoying the experience. And sure, I'd love to shoot those birds, but mm-hmm. if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, that means maybe... It's an adventure n- to you. Maybe next year it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that I, maybe next year, so this is year one of this trip? We'll see. Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah. last year we did the Montana Slam together, mm-hmm. um, which... I would, tr- if I want to check one of the birds off, I want to get a spruce or a sage hen. Sage, okay. I, I have not shot one of those. I, I can't imagine that ptarmigan are going to be difficult to check off the list. Mm. The valley quail and the mountain quail may be a challenge, mm-hmm. but. Um, Especially in a short amount of time right, that you guys Right, right, yeah. I mean, truly, I'd like to make sure we just get through this whole trip and everybody is healthy at the, the end dogs, of it. The sure. dogs right. w- work well. We don't have any major equipment malfunctions you know trucks well, that, and so that was my inclination is you're traveling all these miles in new places with dogs that's where the trepidation would come from for right me. you have you done the research to know vets in the areas that you're at or what, what's your uh, no i honestly can't say that i've done any research on vets i mean i've got a pretty extensive first aid kit for dogs mm. i mean we've stitched dogs up in the fields many many sure. times um He's been hunting since the late 1800s. He's yeah. seen it all. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's probably the best um, plan is to be self-sufficient, yeah. especially in the wilds of Alaska, you know, or up a mountain in Oregon. It's like, well, how close can a veterinarian be? Right. And we're going to be with locals. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would think that they will have that knowledge. Sure. Um, they all have hunting dogs. Yeah. So yeah. that hasn't been a overriding concern of mine at all. I okay. mean, hopefully the dogs perform well. I've... You know, my dog is still very untamed. <laughs> She's got a lot of work to do yet. And, and, and for some folks, they'll hear that and like, boy, you're making a pretty big trip for a dog that isn't pot. But it's like no time right, like the it's present. Right. Right? Like you got to right. live. Yeah, It's on-the-job training, and, and honestly – Wild birds make wild, uh, good bird dogs. That's right. I mean, there's nothing like pouring a, a young dog into lots and lots of birds and lots of places to to help them figure it out on their own. Because we yeah. could we can train them all we want, but until they get those experiences, yeah. you know, 
What yeah. about you, Tyler? High points and anything that causes you trepidation? I have this picture in my in my mind um, when we were talking earlier about uh, starting the YouTube and trying to I'm trying to make some videos that are a little bit different than just GoPro videos. So I got a 4K camera, and I have this picture in my mind of my dogs stacked up on point. I only hunt one dog per day. Um, I don't hunt them at, at both at one time because we are on a long trip and they're mm. going to get plenty of days to, mm-hmm. to run. Um, but I want to get one video of both of my dogs. I don't care if I'm shooting or if he's shooting or if the other guys we're going to be with, sure. if they're shooting, but I want my dogs with that gorgeous Alaska background. Mm. Like, and I'm going to take a screen grab of that and it's going to go on my wall someplace in my house. Mm. And as far as the trepidation goes, it's going to be my first time crossing an international border with firearms. Mm. And, you know, just in all the border protocols that are going on right now. And, like, we, there's uh, something called the Arrive Can app uh, that you have to do 72, within 72 hours of going up there. You have to have your vaccine records. You have to have, mm. you know, all this stuff, mm-hmm. you know, to, to get across. Arrive Can. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... There, it's not super clear on the website as to exactly what what's going to go on in that 72 hours. So you have to submit all your papers beforehand. Thankfully, the border is only about an hour and 20 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, I mean, we got to make sure we have vet records for the dogs. We have to. Uh, we got ATF uh, paperwork for all the guns. You know, I don't know if they're going to tear apart the trailer to make sure that we're not smuggling anything into Canada. I mm-hmm. mean, like, it could end up being a, a big process at mm-hmm. the border because we are bringing so much stuff. The one thing we do have going for us is that we're going to be crossing in a rural area where they're very used to hunters crossing. Mm-hmm. You know, they get a lot of traffic up there from, uh, and not so much in the last few years with COVID and everything else, but with waterfowl hunters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they, they've experienced this a lot. So I'm hoping it goes smooth. But, you know, it's just one of those things I don't want – 65 miles from my house or 80 miles from my house have the first big hiccup of the trip sure, you know sure. so once we get into canada after that i'm just i'm going to be just happy to be up there and just seeing all that country that mm-hmm. i've dreamt about since i was a kid it's funny you know you said you live 65 miles from the border mm-hmm. and this will be the first time you ever traveled across the border with, with a gun yeah which speaks to um north dakota has uh, plenty of hunting opportunities for yeah. you never to have traveled across into Canada because you didn't need to. Well, before I started the podcast five years ago, I, I joked around with everybody forever. Uh, the first time we ever took a out-of-state trip, me and my friends, was 2015. We went to Kansas. And before that point, and we, we started going to Kansas because we wanted to extend our season. Their season goes to the end of January. Mm-hmm. And until that point, whenever somebody would be like, well, you ever get over to Montana to hunt? You ever go down to South Dakota to hunt? And I'd say, why? Why would I Why would I leave North Dakota? We got the same birds here that they got there. Mm. And then I realized that we don't. Uh, we have some of the same birds that they mm. have there, but you got all the other grouse species over there. You got prairie right. chickens in South Dakota. And it kind of comes down to it's almost like being a local pro on your golf course, right? I mean, you can go out there on the same nine holes you played for a 1,000 rounds and shoot a really good score. Go to a different course, you Mm. know, I mean, like go and try something different. And when you start doing all these different things, you can't get more, more separate from chasing sharp tails and you can chasing mountain quail in Oregon Mm. or Mern's quail in Arizona. Mm. You can't get farther removed from the prairies than you can to the rough grouse woods. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you can, you can be really good at pheasant hunting in your backyard. You can be really good at chasing sharp tails in your backyard. Go and try and try it in a different place once and see how hard it is. It's hard, mm. you know. It, it's 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 a you know. It takes two or three seasons to really feel comfortable. I mean, you might get some lucky success, and mm-hmm. you, you know, all of us as hunters, we pay attention to you know, hunting one bird's kind of the same as the other. It might look different, but you know, you're still kind of hunting the edges, whether it's the edges of the hills for sharp tails or the edges of a timber cut for rough grouse. It's all edges, but. You know, it takes some years to to really kind of figure this stuff out. So it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting. And when you do go to those new terrains, not only is it beautiful. And yeah. You mentioned uh, seeing the blues in a beautiful place, and you experience that sense of place. And uh, but when you go chase something different, like that first trip to Kansas, I bet when you went back to North Dakota, you were a better hunter. Absolutely. Uh, and we got our butts kicked in mm-hmm. Kansas. I want to I want to put that out there first because I- anybody who thinks that the first time you go on one of these long trips, you're gonna just crush it, mm-hmm. you're probably not. 
uh, so like we're, we're we're all we're all geeked up. We're thinking, you know, man, there's so many pheasants down there. They got a four bird daily limit. Like we we got a lot of pheasants in North <laughs> yeah. Dakota, but there's got they got to be overrun with pheasants right. down there. Right. You know, it's our duty to go down there and kill some <laughs> of these birds. And then they got scale quail mm. and bob whites. I mean, what are mm. we gonna do? like? We're basically, you know, and we're we're younger mm-hmm. and much dumber than we are now. But it's like, God, how are we going to get all these birds home? Mm. Kind of, kind of talk. <laughs> and the first five days, we don't pull the trigger mm. at all. Mm. And then on the sixth day, we got a couple of roosters. I think the last two in Kansas at that point uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, on on Weeha walking uh, hunting access land down there in Kansas. And Kansas does do a great job, mm. but they're so drought dependent. Mm-hmm. So uh, and then we did. Uh, my old dog Ace, my first my first English setter, my oldest dog Rusty's dad now. Um, he was 13 at the time, and he pointed a covey of bob whites for me on day six. Mm. And it was one of those moments. There a little bit of fresh snow on the ground, and a big covey of, of bob whites go up, and and dogs retrieving birds. And um, right after that, in an area of Kansas that I mean, we I didn't know how rare this was, but we got into a covey of scalies. Mm. And so we ended up in a seven-day trip. We got nine quail total mm. and two roosters. Mm. But we got all of them in the last two days. Mm-hmm. And so the first five days of the trip or four days of the trip, we're me, me and my three buddies, we're just sniping at each other. You know, like my friends are like, oh, yeah, real good idea coming down to sure. Kansas. Sure. You know, this is fun. <laughs> On the way home, we didn't remember any of that. Yeah. We remembered how much fun we had. And as the years have gone by now, the more epic that trip is lives in memory right. right that's the joy of wild bird hunting right right mm-hmm. because it's it, there's no guarantees but right. when you do achieve that success oh it, so sweet it is yeah that's well put it's just sweet the same story i had with the first burns quail trip down to arizona yeah. hunted five days mm-hmm. probably walked 25 miles mm-hmm. in the mountain pulled the trigger twice mm-hmm. yeah. and people are like you did that and i said oh, no, i can't wait to go mm-hmm. back yeah yeah it's just spectacular yeah, yeah. yeah. folks that want to follow along of of this adventure uh again birds booze and buds podcast yeah but uh there's other ways to follow along too. yeah so it's actually birds booze and buds podcast on instagram as well um that's i'm going to be posting uh little videos we're both going to be wearing gopros as well as filming with the 4k camera so um i'll post picture videos of my mm-hmm. dogs on point and birds coming up i'll just post a little 30 second clip there i'll try to do that a couple, as often as i have cell phone service as long as we're finding some birds and i'll do some fishing clips as well uh then i'm going to try to release one 20 to 25 minute youtube episode a week Okay. So um, we're going to do one episode just on packing and fishing in North Dakota and then the trip up. Mm. And so people are going to be able to follow along basically in real time with this whole adventure. So when we get up there, I'm going to put together a video, publish it, and then the next one's going to be ptarmigan hunting up there, then fishing up there, then more ptarmigan hunting with Hank, then the trip down down the coast to Oregon, and then Montana, and all that stuff. So, And I'm going to do that all season. It's not going to just be for this trip. So as the season progresses, it's going to be sharp tails and huns and pheasants and waterfowl in North Dakota. And then I'm probably even going to film my deer hunt. I drew a buck tag <laughs> out there this year. So um, the YouTube, I you know, the thing that I've kind of been lucky enough to do, and I'm sure you, I know you have as well, is that we've been able to watch our dogs on TV, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And you get to see a dog. Like I watched that first episode I did with, with Travis and Craig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hunting my dog, Rusty, who was five years old then or four years mm-hmm. old then. And wa- and seeing him then compared to now, mm-hmm. you know, now he's kind of older. You know, he's going to be nine this fall. And getting a chance to watch that and my young dog, CJ, and Bo, there, there's an episode of The Flush that's coming out from us mm-hmm. hunting down in Arizona last year that's going to Bo, – Bo crushed it. I mm-hmm. mean, it was unreal. But – you know, it's kind of like a living diary, mm-hmm. and you can always go back. I got videos, uh, GoPro videos of, of Ace, my my first dog, who lived to be 15 years mm-hmm. old. And so I want that to continue. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to document as much stuff as I can. So it's also Birds, Booze, and Buds on, on YouTube, on the on any place you listen to, to podcasts, on iTunes, Stitcher, all that kind of stuff, and then cool. on Instagram as well. Cool. Very yeah. fun. Yeah. Have you ever hunted with a GoPro, Bruce? 
I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One of the best shots we got was in Merton's Qu- Country when Here, I had we'll one. We'll show on. you after we get off the air. It's right. pretty epic. Cool. Yeah. He, he just said, wow. Like the <laughs> Covey takes off, off a big Covey right at his feet, and then he shoots a double. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. It's funny. Obviously, we've done it with Rooster Road Trip, and yep. it just drives me crazy. Like, I, I, I like. Trying to remember when to push the yeah, button. Yeah, I just I hate hunting with a GoPro or a camera on my head. Like, um, and I get it; it's part of the experience and part of the job. But um, for me, I just live love living in the moment. Sure. And just being singularly focused on the dog and uh, well, and you know, and the, the nice thing, us as hunters. One of my favorite hunts from last year, I didn't film it at all. I didn't mm. have my GoPro on or anything else. And I can still, if I had any kind of artistic talents at all, I could paint you yeah, the picture right. because it just lives that prominently in our mind. Right. But, you know, it's for me, the dogs are like Rusty. I talk about him being older. He'll be nine. He's my best friend. Like, yeah. I love that dog. Yeah. And he's probably doesn't have that many seasons left. Right. I mean, how often do dogs get to hunt at 13? So, right. you know, he's three quarters of the way through his life. Yeah. And so to I mean, not only to share this trip with Bruce, but to be able to say that that dog went from the Mexico border <laughs> to as far yeah. north in the United States as you can get, yeah. basically, and hunted, you know, and then to get it to go back and watch that in years yeah. to come is going to be pretty special. Yeah, very special. Yeah. Guys, I wish you nothing but the best. And most importantly, safe travels. Thank you, sir. Thanks. Um, hope, uh, you know, as Bruce, you mentioned, you guys have fun adventures, but that you and the dogs come out of a long trip healthy and, and That's with some good memories. Right. Yeah, for sure. Birds, Boods, and Buds. Yes, sir. Podcast. Yep. YouTube, Instagram. Yep. That's it. All right, folks. Fellas, the trip begins. Well, it, it, it already began, really. began for yeah. you, but. Now on to North Dakota. Yep. Thanks very much for having us on, Bob. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, folks. Thanks for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. I hope you follow the adventures of Tyler and Bruce. I know I will be. I am um, particularly interested in seeing how they do with uh, mountain quail and valley quail, one day each, both species that are on my list that uh, – Maybe I can learn a few things and put it into practice next season. All right, folks. Uh, I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the dog. Something good will rise. Hey, they'll take you to Alaska. They'll take you to Oregon, Montana, North Dakota. They'll take you all sorts of beautiful places. So follow those dogs. Thanks for listening, folks.